This is Building Passive Income and Wealth Through Real Estate, where we guide you through the relentless pursuit of financial independence. I'm your host, Justin Moy, Managing Partner at Perpetual Wealth Capital, a multifamily real estate investing firm that lets everyday people invest passively in income-producing apartment buildings. Hey, investors, welcome back to another episode of Building Passive Income and Wealth Through Real Estate. Today, I'm sitting down with George Roberts. And George has been a real estate investor for over a decade. His holdings include multifamily real estate. He's also managing member of Walnut Grove Homes, a residential construction company based in Troy, Michigan, and host of the Foundry Podcast. Now, George is a data scientist and currently builds statistical models that guide decisions in the financial space. So George, we're really, really excited to have you on the show, and thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Justin. So tell us a little bit about you, your investment experience, what you do in that realm, and why you do it. Yeah, so I've been at it for quite a while, but it wasn't really until I helped my sister launch the construction company that I felt like I was truly bitten by the entrepreneurial bug. So after that, I decided that I wanted to have something that was all my own, and I went into value-add multifamily. A lot of people have single family experience in some capacity before they jump into multifamily, right? seems like a pretty, I guess, standard progression, not necessary, but a lot of people do that. So tell us about Walnut Grove Homes, residential construction company. Are you building from the ground up? Were you rehabbing and flipping properties? Or what was the experience you got there that translated really well into multifamily? Well, over there, it's all ground up construction and it's all residential. So for me, It was really just the love of entrepreneurship. I mean, I had my single family home. I was a landlord, but it really just didn't translate into the excitement of entrepreneurship. But that ground up construction was really different. The planning of it and the execution, going through all the legal channels, all of that was just really fascinating to me. And I felt like this is really what I need to be doing. But again, too many cooks in the kitchen. It really wasn't good to have a small company with three leaders. What I wanted to do was, again, do something that was all my own. And so I felt like I already understood how to be a landlord. And at this point, I thought, well, hey, I just want to do this at scale. Data scientists doesn't take a small sample of data. They handle the data at scale. And I looked at multifamily. This is something that does scale. And it gave me the opportunity to do something in a big way. But again, I was able to keep the W-2, which is not something you can do if you're honestly or in any genuine capacity running a construction company that has to be 100% absorbing. We have partners at our firm that have that single family and multifamily construction experience, and it helps so much. I mean, there's not much that really gets you the experience, like starting from bland and starting from nothing and doing absolutely everything within that space. A little bit more about that data science background how does that translate into the financial models you use? Has that guided your investment decisions quite a bit, or is it not really as applicable in this space? Or tell us about that experience and that background. So for me, coming from a data science background, and even to take two steps back, I was a bioscientist before that, completed a PhD, did a couple of postdocs, had many, many heavily cited articles. I just have an analytic approach to life. And a lot of people will tell you, hey, you know, engineers and people who are highly technical, that they get analysis paralysis. But to me, I think it's really parallel tracks. There's no reason why you shouldn't always be analyzing your decisions 
And that's no reason to stop making decisions. So as for whether I actually approach it differently than other people, difficult to say. But when I do go into something like, say, investing, I look at it in a comprehensive way. I look at everything. So, I mean, I invest in equities. I love to analyze securities. But I was also obviously looking for something beyond that. And real estate is great. But if you look at things like single family homes, they get hit by the exact same things that our last financial crisis caused to creep up into the single family space. But if you look at something like commercial real estate, where you focus more on cash flow and where you're not tied to a single property or a single tenant, these things tend to do a whole lot better. And so looking at all those things, again, I think that my analytic background helped to lead me to multifamily. And again, it's something that teaches me to at all times sort of course correct. If you think about the captain at the captain's wheel, you can see they're always turning it a little to the right or a little to the left. Those sort of course corrections are very important. You brushed over something really important there. I guess the difference between the single family and the multifamily, as you saw it from an analytical perspective. So what are some of those forces that you are saying, hey, single family and multifamily get impacted by, but maybe single family is more impacted because maybe you do have that one tenant or your properties aren't valued based on cash flow. Dive into that a little bit more and tell us what some of those differences you saw were. Well, the biggest difference I didn't mention is that you have comps. And that really determines the value of your single family real estate. And as you well know, Justin, in commercial space, it's all about the cash flow. So if you can keep that cash flow going, you will have some value in the commercial space, which we really saw that value melt away in a much bigger way during the last crisis. And so that's one of the things that we really liked about it as well is because almost no matter what you're renting the single family home for, if it is an investment and you are just renting it out, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. No matter how well it cash flows, you know, people Mm -hmm. aren't judging the property based on that. Mm -hmm. As in commercial where everybody's an investor and the reason we're buying these things is to make money. And so you can really manipulate what we call forced appreciation. Can the neighborhood come up? Yes. But also can you push the values up based on impacting the actual investment of it? So Tell us too about, you had mentioned that you really like to analyze other securities and other types of investments. You know, how have those, I guess, played into your portfolio or are you all in a multifamily or what's your view on that? I believe very strongly in diversification and just put in a quick plug, if you don't mind, I'll be speaking at Angel Williams Conference again. Last time I was there, I did speak about diversification. I think diversification makes a lot of sense. A lot of people in multifamily particularly because of the stability, they like to contrast that with the stock market and they say, oh, you don't want that stock market volatility. And I certainly don't want to have 100% of my wealth in something that's volatile like that. But somebody like Warren Buffett would point out that there's a huge advantage in that. Volatility just gives you more opportunities to buy low. So if you have diversification and if you do have your fingers in multiple pots, and if you do continue to do that sort of hard work of analysis, Certainly, you can make a killing in the stock market over some short timeframes. I would never want to be 100% out of the stock market, but neither do I want to be 100% in it. And I think that's something that a lot of investors, I guess, overlook. You talk about Warren Buffett or people within his circle. Yeah, they are going to really what you call time the market, right? Which is a very rare thing to do. They know when the volatility is coming. They know when things are going to dip down and they are so good at that. But it's more of an active thing, right? A lot of people, when they talk about the stock market, They're going in the S&P 500 and they're just going to kind of ride the wave. You like to get into value add multifamily. 
So tell us exactly what kind of properties you like and why, or do you like really distressed properties where you get to come in because of your construction background, do a ton of work? Tell us, I guess, what's in your wheelhouse and why? I started out with a value add because I think for most people, that's the place to begin because that's where you can really make the killing in real estate and you can make it within a couple of years. As far as how deep the value add, it depends on who's the construction team. So I'm in Southeast Michigan in Orlando, where I've done my deepest value add, that's Mark Prokop on site every day, making sure that things are going right. So he's got 40 years of construction experience and he's the sort of guy who can take that on. He's not only done the fix and flips, but he's a construction professional who's built entire subdivisions. So a person that has that degree of experience, you can trust them with a deep value add. But obviously, a couple of things. It's not just a matter of whether you have the construction professionals that can be trusted. You'll notice a lot of teams do have that, and yet they do end up going for the lighter value add because once you're able to get those off-market deals you really don't necessarily have to go for the deep value add. And most people want to be able to churn it a little faster. So just like everybody who gets experienced in this industry, I would have to say that I'm definitely moving towards the lighter value adds. Also consider that the more operations experience you have, the less you need to rely on the obvious. It's obvious that you put a new flooring and put paint on walls that haven't seen paint for five or 10 years, that you're going to see a great lift. I think coming into it's a little less obvious how to run things more efficiently, and whether, in fact, you can run them more efficiently. I think that's super important, especially for those newer investors where they come in and they say, oh, this property's at a 70% expense ratio. I'm going to come in, I'm going to cut it down to 50. Like, okay, well, how? Why can you do it when they can't? And a lot of times, that's kind of where that question stops because it's not a solid answer. So for you, it's about I guess, getting your feet wet more in that market, right? So really know like, hey, I can manage this at a certain expense or I can do these certain value adds, but that's something that's super important. And we see a lot of people mess that up is we're just going to come right in and cut the expenses. Well, they're probably high for a reason. And if they're that high, you could bet there's probably some things pushed around below the line or some things not accounted for that they also had as well, which are important to have. So you were going more so, I guess, heavy value add. And you have you seen, I guess, the opportunities you take on being a little bit lighter. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I think certainly in the future that I'm going to head towards the lighter. And I've already done that. For example, I've got a GP deal that I'm on in East Tennessee. And over there, I mean, mainly it's just a matter of fact that rents haven't been raised in three years. I mean, if you don't mind me backing up a little bit, when people look at expenses, for example, a lot of people use the 50% rule. And that's a great place to start. But who's paying the utilities? If rubs is already in place, or if you have everything separately metered, you might be closer to 40 and that might be valid. Again, 50%. What does that mean for a building built in 1980? If you've got a building built in 1920, they may have a very different situation. So you got to really look at those things. And those are sort of things and the rules of thumb. You got to have rules of thumb behind your rules of thumb to get a few layers deeper. Well, for example, with this East Tennessee property, we're doing a very light value add you got to do a lot of work to validate the rent. So for example, on our team, Kim Scully did something I think was quite brilliant. She started doing some Facebook ads ahead of time. So we got the property locked up and then we asked the question, well, hey, we've done our market research. We think we know what these can rent for. And we think that they might rent for say $250 more, but actually going out there and taking one step further and validating that and seeing that, hey, 
We got a lot of interest for this fake ad with old pictures paying $250 more. Everybody's going to tell you, hey, you can raise the rent immediately. This is below market. They forget to tell you two things is that first of all, can you really do it? Have you done the research? And the other thing is people forget about differences between say like in-place rent and your new rents. If you've got people that have been there for a while, most landlords are going to give them a bit of a discount. So don't just assume that you can come right in and raise everything to the so-called market. You said Facebook ads for, I know some markets that's really popular. It's personally not something that we've done a lot of. Were you advertising old units just to test the market or how are you kind of using that data to say, oh, wow, we have a lot of interest in the old style unit at that price. Maybe we can up it a little bit more. Exactly. What was that strategy? Walk us through that. Anybody could put together some new pictures, or if you have property in the area, like our partners did, and say, hey, what would you pay for this? But we already have an idea for that. We really wanted to just get the baseline assumption validated, which is that if this truly is below market, and by the way, another big clue is when you see one of those mom and pop properties and everybody's month to month, how can you raise the rent when the lease expired two or three years ago? You can't. That's another validator. But again, yeah, just to validate that baseline assumption so we can see, hey, we can get a lot with doing nothing. Now, just imagine if we start to become the prime place to stay in the area, boom, we can go well beyond it. When people say value add, a lot of people say, oh, I'm in value add real estate. I'm in value add multifamily. I mean, there's so much to that. Is it renovations? Is it kind of rebranding and getting, maybe you don't renovate as much, but you change the reputation of the property. So there's a lot of things that go into that. Tell us about your value add experience. I know you have a lot of experience in construction and you see due diligence in different ways because of that background that a lot of people might miss. Have you ever made any mistakes in your value add plays that listeners should be aware of? What I would say is that you can never underestimate what you're going to find. Once you open those walls, you have no idea what you're going to find. So I know one property, we found different gauges of wire attached to each other. We'd already known that there was going to be some polybutylene piping in there, which is really bad if you've heard of it. It's something that you want to replace. So we already knew there were some issues, but we didn't know that we were going to open everything up. Even during our due diligence, there was some flooding because the roof was leaking and that caused some major issues. So we did our underwriting. Then we get into due diligence. We realize we're going to have to open up some of the walls. And then when we find things like wrong gauges of wire stuck together and wire nutted together, then we realized we were going to have to go into every single wall. So it was basically like a snowball effect. It's hard to say whether that's actually a mistake other than that in any sort of construction, you have to have a huge margin of safety. And in some ways, I think that it may be a little bit harder, even though there are fewer things to estimate when you do a value add you don't know the extent of what's wrong behind the walls. And that's something that's concerning to a lot of people too. And the reason why some people will kind of step away from those older buildings, specifically for those mechanical issues, the way that they did plumbing or the way they did wiring back when those buildings were built. So that's a huge thing to consider as well. What about the cosmetic upgrades? I know we were talking a little bit before we started recording about over-improving on properties. I mean, have you seen that happening a lot or is that something that you've seen happening now? Tell us about some of the mistakes that you maybe made there. It's very easy to fall in love with a property. But for us, it wasn't so much that we fell in love with it because this was our first property. It was more that, well, hey, we have to open up the walls. We have to fix the plumbing and the electrical, something we didn't plan on, something we didn't want to do. But once you do that, then obviously it makes sense at that point 
you're doing a deeper renovation that you want to sort of make good on it. There's always that cost fallacy. But at the same time, bear in mind that if you're opening up the walls like that and you don't take the opportunity, for example, to add washer and dryer hookups, that's a big miss. So what happened is that as we realized that there were some major issues with the property, things that we hadn't planned, then we had to sort of pivot and something you can do when you have a joint venture. If you got three investors, say, you can get together, you can say, hey, this is heavier lift than we expected. So let's pivot a little bit. It's very difficult to do that if you've got outside investors who are expecting distribution or who expected that we're going to see things on this timeline. The timeline's changed a little bit, but now we've got potentially a much bigger win. You can do it, but again, you might ruffle some feathers. I think that's really important too, because a lot of people even listening to the show might be those passive mm-hmm. investors, and they're the ones on the receiving end of that conversation of, hey, now we're changing the business plan or now because of things that we found. What's that justification for it? Either you as a sponsor or you as a passive investor need to trust in your sponsor to make those right decisions. That's really, really awesome. And I love it when people have that construction experience as well, because it's something that is so valuable in this space. And we're all doing value out of real estate. A lot of people think it's really easy. Hey, I'll buy for 50 a door, put in $5,000 in renovations. Now it's worth 80 a door. It never works out cleanly like that. For the listeners out there listening, how can they get in touch with you? And who are some people that maybe you could add some additional value to? So if you're interested in investing either actively or passively, come find me at www.horizonmultifamily.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm very active on all social media channels. But most importantly, if you got any questions, just hit me up through LinkedIn, get right back to you. I love to help people. I love to meet people. And I'm always willing to do a little teaching or tutoring. If you happen to be somebody who may be interested in passive investing, would like to know a little bit more about the business to get comfortable, feel free to ask me some questions, whether or not you feel like you're ready to put money in your first deal. Fantastic. So we're going to put that information in the show notes and listeners, of course, if you haven't already, while you're there, make sure you download our free ebook, The Definitive Guide to Building Generational Wealth and Passive cash flow Through Multifamily Real Estate. George, thank you so much for coming on. Tons and tons of value in this episode. And listeners, thanks so much for spending a few minutes of your day with us.